Hello and welcome to Talk Derby to Me. I'm Blake Fallows. Today we've got Rob Palmer, the voice of La Liga. When I was growing up, I used to watch La Liga on a Saturday and Sunday night. And this man was the commentator. He's voiced some of Messi's most famous goals, some of Ronaldo's most famous moments. But you might not know that he actually started as an apprentice at Derby County in 1979. So Rob Palmer will be joining us shortly. I want to say thank you to our sponsors, as ever, Sky Recruitment Solutions. If you go on our social media, you can check them out and find out all about them. Thank you to them, as ever. We speak a lot in this episode about a YouTube video that's got millions and millions of views, and I mean tens of millions of views. And it's somebody in Zaragoza, in Spain, a young lad, who made a video of messy highlights. And I won't ruin the story, but it's been very important in Rob's career and it's the reason he's got a job now so it's only right that we start this episode of Talk Derby to Me with a little clip of that video remember the name Lionel Messi you're going to hear an awful lot of it over the next 10 years he has been the star of the show and they've all played in this game Figo, Zidane, Romario, Ronaldo, Johan Cruyff, Diego Maradona now there is a new name in the history books Lionel Messi they like to say world class, but there's another class. There's Messi class, which is better than any other player on the planet at times. But the water, the surface water is unbelievable. It's almost up to the knees of Lionel Messi. Mind you, such a footballer, Lionel Messi walks on water, doesn't he? <laughs> so welcome on to Tour Darwin. It's me, Rob Palmer. Many of you will have heard your voice over the years, but I don't think everyone... I know not a lot will, but I don't think everyone will know that you once played for Derby County. So welcome along to talk Derby to me. How are you at the moment? Uh, okay, in the middle of a quite a busy week of La Liga football, and they're very late, uh, late games at night. So as I said to you just off air, um, first time in months I've had a sleeping pill. So I, this could be interesting. I may not be making a lot of sense this morning, but yes, it's, it's uh, oh, there we go. There's the alarm going off. Uh, <laughs> yeah uh, so yes very very good looking forward to the end of the season getting into that final straight now it's been it's been a brilliant but a very very long season is it just the, the La Liga that you you cover now then or is it like a plethora of, of different games or is it if your focus still La Liga um, I've been very lucky in obviously for the best part of a quarter of a century La Liga has been my thing and it was on Sky and then last summer ESPN in, in the States uh, got a contract to do La Liga. I think I got it for the next eight years and um, long story, but sort me out. So I do a game for them every weekend. So it's normally Barcelona or Real Madrid every weekend. It was Barca last night. It's Real Madrid on Thursday night. It's Barca a game this weekend. So that is the uh, the bread and butter, if you like. Um, and I still kind of do games for Sky. So I do the, um, the red button games on the EFL. So I've seen Derby a few times this season, midweek. Uh, and the other week I did one of the live ones. I did Rotherham against Ipswich Town. I do UEFA games on a Thursday night, the Conference League. So I've been the, the Bodo Glimt correspondent this season uh, for the UEFA Conference games. But the, the, still the crux of it, all this Spanish football. Have you been, you've just touched on Derby County. Obviously, we'll, we'll start where we are at the minute. Have you been keeping an eye on it from afar and, and the situation and, and what do you make of it? I kind of dip in and out of it because I've, I've maybe done half a dozen of the Rams games this season on the dreaded red button midweek. So you, you have to catch up with what's happening and you know politically what's happening and as well. Half the family married to a Derby girl as well. Um, Bo Brona, my wife, is from Little Over. Um, 
and her brother follows the team up and down the country and the Punjabi Rams as well. Uh, Sam was the next door neighbour of hers. So, yeah, I can't avoid Derby County. Uh, and also the previous regime before Mel Morris, the Americans, they were um, acquaintances, I think, be fair to say. So, yeah, I've got, got kind of a vested interest in what's going on there. I mean, you know, off the field, it's it's a mess. It's horrible what's what's happened there. I don't think anybody quite understands what's gone on and the, the implications and the... Um, financial jungle that it is and, and how it can all be be untied on the pitch yeah I, I feel sorry for Wayne Rooney I've actually quite enjoyed his management he's, he's had good in-game management and, and Liam Rossini as well been working with his dad Leroy recently um, and I think they've done really well with, with what they've got available to them but uh, don't ask me what's going on there because I really do not understand it. it is absolutely dreadful I don't think Anybody does, rather than being honest. <laughs> if people involved, it seems to be changing almost not even on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. It's it's so complex. It's it's unreal. It seems. Yeah, it, it seems that you know that there are. I suppose the, the first people you got to pay off are the tax people, and then there's people that they owe a debt to as well um, that they have to be paid off. And then you come in, and then they're going to find that there's no players there, and then you've got to manage who's on a on a pretty good salary as well. So there's a lot of a lot of things you have to sort out, and then there's the the dilemma of what on earth is happening with the training ground and the stadium as well. So you basically, buy, if you come into Derby County, you're basically buying the name, an empty vessel, and an incredible fan base and a lot of history at the club. So you, you are starting with, with a completely blank sheet of paper there, um, but you know you've got one of the best supported clubs in the country when it comes to fans per capita of who lives in in the city and in the area as well. It could be exciting times ahead, but it, it, somebody's got an awful lot of patience and a great deal of concentration and incredible acumen to come in and, and turn the club around and, and point it in the right direction again. The the setup and we've had um, I think we've done 120 of these now and players across eras and we always talk about how the setups changed at Derby and when you arrived um, all them years ago to, yeah. to the base ground and uh, it's a completely different world, isn't it, from when you would have walked in and, and seen the baseball ground and, and the facilities at that time. Yeah, I, I first came, I think, I think I was a schoolboy. So if you think Derby had been the champions of England, only what, five, six years before I actually signed for them. So they, they were a major club then. They're on a bit of a down uh, at that point. So it was just after the Tommy Doherty period. Colin Addison was the manager when I signed there. John Newman was his assistant. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the baseball ground had something about it. Um, I always think of it as like a Sabutio stadium with the sheer sides of it. Um, we were laughing last week for the first time in... Ooh, almost 40 years, the lads that were apprentices together, myself, Graham Harvey, who made it in the first team, Paul Blades, who's my roommate, and Blades, he went on to, to play for the likes of Norwich City and Rotherham, Wolverhampton Wanderers, another guy called Mark Shackleton, who, like me, got released in his teens. Um, and we were saying about, you know, when we were <laughs> when we were youngsters, we, we used to we used to finish about this time of year when the championship finished, but we had to have two years after, or two weeks, should I say, after the, the end of the season, we used to have to paint the pop side. One poor, one poor lad, Mark Fred, was a striker, played for the youth team, painted the pop side, they took him in. They said, look, we know your birthday's in September, it's cruel to bring you back for a month, we're not going to be retaining you in September, so, you know, good luck, go find uh, go find another career. And the poor lad had just painted the pop side with a handbrush for the last two weeks as well, so they really could have done him a favour there. And, yeah, I mean, you know... 
professionally when you see the training ground and what they've got going now at the training ground and you see the stadium as well that, that they've got absolutely everything there um sadly i think we probably had a better team although when i left i played for derby county a second tier and first tier but it wasn't in that order he was in reverse order we started in the top flight the year after i left they were heading down and it's going to be the arthur cox era but uh, yeah it's it's in many ways, things haven't changed because they've still got an incredible support as well. And when you go see them play, it's crazy how many of the old phases you still see there from, from the 80s and the 90s. I've spoke about this a lot on this podcast with, with different ex-players and how important were, were characters and the old kind of YTS scheme type apprenticeships. Obviously, now it's completely different. You've got under-23s football and it's it developed players in a different way, but characters like Gordy, Gordon Guthrie and people like that who are around the club. Does that, is that character building at that age stuff, those people around you when you're a young footballer? Yeah, that's what you might say if you went to court, it was character building. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Gordon was great in that he, he'd come in and you know, I'd love him. I think he changed over the years to be fair to Gordon, but um, you know, when you came in, a lot of the kids would come in and they'd think they'd absolutely made it because they're a 16 year old apprentice who'd been the best kid in their school team and the county team and played for the North of England or the South of England or whatever. And he soon let them know by giving them some kind of task um, that uh, you're at the bottom end of the ladder. We, we were recalling how, we used to train at Rainsway, and if you had been seen to misbehaved or not mop the changing room correctly or the kit wasn't put out or somebody's boots weren't clean, then you were left to actually make it back from Rainsway to the baseball ground and, and run across town and make it across the park or come down Allerton Road or go via the sports centre and find your own way home. And you can imagine now that they'd have some kind of protection officer and uh, a guy with a pair of handcuffs at the end of it if you, if you got back there. Uh, we had Ronnie Moore, uh, Ronnie Moore, Ronnie Webster, who of course had been part of the the great Clough and Taylor team as well, who'd come through the system. I think he was in the first team when he was 16 or 17. Uh, and, and Ronnie was a brilliant coach, um, you know, a very kind-hearted man as well. Dar Derbyshire guy lived up in the hills somewhere out there in Sasquatch country. Um, and, and, and he was brilliant. Uh, and, and the great thing was as well that he showed us the way because when Peter takes this speech to everybody in the canteen at Rainsway about if uh, people didn't do their jobs and uh, they were going to be out of the club in a matter of months. And Ronnie Webster voted with his feet. He got up and said to Peter Taylor, I didn't know for you the first time. He signed on the spot. Man and boy had been there 25 years and just walked out. And, would, and that was a big learning curve as well. It was a great learning curve in principles. How did you end up leaving Derby County, the professional game then, and, and heading into, well, initially like non-league football and, and then into journalism? Um, back in those days, you, you basically had an apprentice contract until you're 18 years of age. Um, and my contract was up in January, which is when my birthday is. Um, I think it was pretty obvious. I mean, it, it was cruel, really, because I'd gone from being a much sought-after goalkeeper. I could have gone to half a dozen clubs, and I chose Derby because I thought that was, at the time, the place where they cared for you the most. But I, le I left school, and I, when I went to Derby, I think I played three games in my opening six months there, and it absolutely crushed me. Um, and then the only time I'd get a game would be when we played in the Youth Cup. And we did well. We had a couple of good runs in my two years there. We played Manchester United the second year. We played West Ham United. Uh, Upton Park, so we had some great memories, but um, it, it, it just destroyed me, destroyed me as a footballer because we didn't get to play much. So when I was 18, it was the inevitable. I mean, again, we were relaying the story last week of 
um, Ken Guttridge had taken over as the Peter Taylor regime. Peter Taylor had taken over as manager. Roy McFarland had come in as, uh, as team manager. A guy called Ken Guttridge was the youth team manager. And they called me in one Friday and said, oh, the boss wants to see you. So I went and they said, oh, before you come in and see the boss, can you go get us fish and chips? So I went down and got half a dozen um, packets of fish and chips in the local chippy, uh, came back and Peter Taylor had gone. And this old boss has gone. He didn't have time to hang around. Oh, by the way, uh, we're releasing you. So they got rid of me at Derby County in a really classy manner. Um, I, I kind of left and said, well, one of those one day, I, I will be back. I will, you know, Arnold Schwartz and a good type. I got a very long story. I, got, I, I wrote to every club in the country. I went, that was January, between January and May. I went and had at least a week at the likes of Birmingham City, Cambridge United, um, as you said to my lad, I'm in London at the moment. I, I played a couple of games for Leighton Orient Reserves. I helped out at Chesterfield. They were short of a goalkeeper as well. And I was like a keeper for hire. I think I played for six different teams on trial. And, and one of the letters I wrote, um, oh, no, actually what came about, I went back to Hull, which is where I'm from. And the youth team coach there said, look, we're, we've got our goalkeepers, but, you know, come and train with us, make up the numbers. And he put me in touch with a guy in America. And completely out of the blue, this guy got in touch with me and said, I'm coming back to England uh, with my wife. If you like to sit down, I'll see what I can do for you. And he helped me get out to America on a scholarship to go out there and play football at a college in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, and we had a very, very diverse team. They talk about diversity these days. We had a Liberian, a Nigerian, a Kenyan, uh, an Argentinian, a Brazilian, a Puerto Rican, a Colombian, German guy. Uh, we actually had a couple of Americans in our American team as well. So it, again, it was a great life experience. And as part of that, um, I had to do a degree and I'd not been a natural student because I'd left school when I was 16 to become an apprentice, but I'd continued to kind of do my B-Tech at Will Morton on, on day release from Derby, which was a, a god save. So I did a degree in mass media communications. Uh, back then in the UK, there were lots of media courses everywhere now. So may argue it's a cop out, but um, there are lots of media courses everywhere and it, you, you couldn't do it. So I did a, a four year degree in um, radio, television and public relations and film and majored in my final year in journalism, uh, came back and um, still wanted to chase the dream. So I played um, in that area, I played for Long Eaton, played for Shepshed Charterhouse. My best days were probably at Belper. Uh, and again, as a bit of a renter keeper. And, and got a job through a guy called, and people will know him, the, the older Derby fans will know a great writer called Neil Hallam, who used to write in the trade and newspaper. Um, and Neil was great because when we were players at Derby County, we, we all used to read Neil's Thursday column in the trader because that's how we found out what was going on. Gerald Mortimer did, 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 did the Derby Telegraph, but Gerald was a bit safe and had his own parking spot at the club and didn't quite understandably didn't want to upset so many people. But Neil told it as he was. He had a mole in the in the changing room. So uh, Neil took me under his wing. So I ended up going to work for the trader newspapers. So I worked for the Long Eaton Trader. Um, the, the free paper and we'd have articles in the, the Derby Trader as well and the Nottingham Trader. I wanted to get into sports, but the only sport that they could really cover um, would be uh, the Long Eaton Speedway. So I became a Speedway reporter as well for Long Eaton. And after that went to um, cover Port Vale and Stoke on weekends uh, for an agency called Raymond's again, which is another Derby company. So the, the Derby Connection again, which was owned by Neil and people, I think Raymond's is still going. It's a photography agency these days. And we covered the national, we covered Vale and Stoke for the national newspapers and the opposing radio stations. And then after that, I had a big choice to make when I got to about 
ordered in 88, so I'll be about 23, 24. I got my first job in the BBC, in BBC Radio, BBC Radio Humberside, went back home to make a decision to either become a, a journalist and a broadcaster or go down the, you know, the, the non-league football route, probably still be playing now. Um, so that, that was the route, really. Um, and then I actually did make a comeback. I, I played in the FA Cup, Bridlington Town. I went to do a report with Colin Appleton, who'd been the former Derby County... Uh, Colin Appleton, not Colin Addison, Colin Appleton had been a former Hull City manager. He was short of a keeper for the FA Cup. His keeper had been banned for headbutting a linesman. Uh, and I covered for him. And, and that was covered by the BBC on the grandstand match of the day. So I became the goalkeeper reporter for Football Focus. And that was great then because we did well. We actually won and we got through. Um, and the last scene of it was me getting dropped by the manager because the other guy was back from his eight-game ban for headbutting the linesman. But it made great television. Um, so that was my kind of visual CV that was, so what have you done? And I just throw in this VHS and go, well, there's some football focus. And there's Des Lynham saying, watch out, Bob Wilson. Remember the name, Rob Palmer. So that was kind of my break. And even then, I still played for Scunthorpe. Then I went to Scunthorpe to do some reporting and Scunthorpe was short of a keeper. So I ended up playing half a dozen, maybe more than that, maybe about a dozen games for Scunthorpe United to reserve. So I kept extending that career, but eventually when I got to about 25, 26, um, moved down to what is now known as Radio 5, um, worked in radio there, and then up to Radio Merseyside. My first year was covering Liverpool when they won the league, and we just thought that was a yearly occurrence on Merseyside. I, I called the first year, 1990, Dalgleish was the manager, and then I've done Granada Television and then sold my soul to Sky Television back in about 96, 97. Do you ever look back and think, what would have happened if the Bridlington goalkeeper didn't headbutt the linesman and jump off the <laughs> not for the road to Wembley and that I got it. Do you ever think uh, the stars maybe aligned or is it more you make your own look kind of thing? Um, I, I'm of the school that you make your own look, that if you put yourself in enough positions and work hard enough, um, things will happen for you. Um, you know, yeah, I've had some really lucky turns. You know, even signing for Derby County, I'd, I'd not been the first choice keeper for the whole schoolboys team, but I'd had a good little run. We ended up playing at Chesterfield. And then when we played at Chesterfield, Derby County scouts were watching. So Ronnie Webster was the scout that came, youth team coaching came and signed me. The, the American thing, again, it was a letter completely out of the blue to... You know, some random guy I'd never heard of who was in Pittsburgh at the time, but just like the look of my attitude and and we had the chat. And the great irony of that is that he's a guy called Chris Wright. And Chris um, then moved on to Minnesota. He's just finished as the CEO of Minnesota United in MLS football. And the investors in his team were the previous investors in Derby County that came across and looked at Derby County. We went out for dinner one night with these Americans. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves had come over to play, I think it was the LA Lakers in London. And we sat down and had a, a few glasses of wine and, and a chat. And they were talking to me about various clubs. And what I didn't know at the time is that they were kind of pummeling me for information on what I thought about Derby County and the situation. And then six months later, Andy Appleby and a number of the investors called me up and said, oh, got to come down to Pride Park on Monday. So why? So we just bought the club. So the world is an incredible place. You never quite know who you're talking to. And, you you know, you treat absolutely everybody the same way. And we're all connected in some way. That's how things happen. So, yeah, you know, and again, last summer, I thought, um, I thought my career had probably come to a natural curtailment and things were very quiet after lockdown. And then out of the blue, somebody at ESPN um, starts kind of researching commentators on Spanish football. And there's some kid that's put together a compilation of Lionel Messi goals on YouTube, which has about 2 million hits. This guy's seen that and they've said, oh, we want him. 
So I'm going to call the game out of the blue because there's a messy compilation out there on YouTube and it's some student I've since found out in Zaragoza that's done it, it's done it in his mum's bedroom. Um, and then I've ended up getting a job now at ESPN, which is based in Connecticut, which is where I was at college 25, well, 30 odd years ago now. So yeah, everything is connected. Everything in the world is connected. There's a brilliant symmetry to everything that's happened in your career, isn't it? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Does that young student get like a percentage now of your ESPN fee for making that compilation? <laughs> I actually believe, I, I believe in karma um, and I, I've, I've tracked him down and I've, I've found out that he's a young guy. I don't think he's a full-time journalist. He lives somewhere in, in, in Zaragoza, I believe. Um, and I, yeah, I will make it my business in the next four or five years uh, to find him, to seek him out and to make sure that he, get, we, he gets a very big lunch and a huge bottle of some kind of wine or whatever he wants. Because, yeah, I, I owe him. I mean, he, he didn't know he was doing it for me and he was just doing it for fun. And as you all do, when you've got your favourite football club, you you know, we all, you know, you've got your programmes or you've got your memories or whichever way you express yourself. And he was just doing that for himself because he's a, a Lionel Massey fanboy. Um, but it's just used my commentary. So, yeah, big, big stop. There's, there's a big paella coming to him. I, I will track him down. I'm just trying to actually, this week, one of my jobs, because it's a quieter week, is the guy who... Um, let me go to Hull, guy called Bobby Brown. Um, I'd actually refused to sign for Hull when I was 14 and gone to Derby County, and it, it actually went to boardroom level at Hull for Bobby, and he allowed me to train at Hull for, for six months when I was having trials elsewhere, and he's the one that put me in touch with a guy in America. So this week I'm, I'm going to sort him out. He's 80-odd now, and I'm going to write him a letter and say, look, again, you helped me out at my lowest ebb. You pointed me in the right direction. You probably got no idea what you did for me. Um, but I'll, I'll, uh, that is an email that's on its way sometime this week, probably today, actually. It's funny you should say that because I'm nowhere near what you've done in your career, but I work in local radio. And Chris Coles, who does BBC Radio Derby, has just announced he's leaving. And I did my first one the other day. I, was, I thought, I don't know what I'd be doing if it wasn't for the, the time that Chris Coles spent with me. Probably time. Um, to yeah. Be honest. Well, and that's it. But you know, you see people, you see people, you see a reflection of yourself, and then you, you know, you put you put your work into it, like like yourself, my lads. You know, my boy Ellis has got cerebral palsy. He's there are certain things he's not never going to be able to do, um, but there are lots of things that he can do, and he's he, he's utilised his strengths, which is his uh, which are his languages and his geekiness when it comes to politics and of uh, knowledge of current affairs and he, he's now working for the bbc as well so he's he's kind of followed in the family tradition but i think he's like a computer it's like the next generation's always an upgrade so what i say to him so he's palmer mark too brighter <laughs> smarter well, so if i ever have a, a son or daughter then they might actually make the full journalist because i'm not quite <laughs> <laughs> How did first getting into the doing the La Liga stuff then come? Was it 1996 you joined Sky? Yeah, I joined Sky when they very first started what is now known as Sky Sports News, which is the 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, news channel. Um, I think it was 96. They got the Premier League off the ground. They had come around and asked me to join them 92 or 93, but they didn't quite know what the job was. And they just wanted to recruit people. And it was either going to be rugby league, which was, again, a little bit of a specialism of mine back then, or maybe being one of the touchline reporters, um, which ended up being Nick Collins, who went on and had a, had a great career. But I declined the first time because it was at Granada TV, ITV, and, and calling games, doing commentaries, midweek matches. And then ITV lost uh, a lot of the rights. There wasn't much. There were about six games a season at the likes of Central and and uh, Granada Televisions. And Sky came back and said, look, we're starting up this new channel. 
and we want people in the regions because um, everything was London centric and London based. So they took me on and I did the Northwest and my great pal, Rob McCaffrey and Rob did the North East. So he did Newcastle down to Leeds and the Sheffield clubs. And I did anything from kind of Stoke all the way up to, well, like 32 clubs in the patch. So that was the job. Um, and I enjoyed it, but really, uh, truthfully, I wanted to be a commentator and I, and I again kept knocking on the door um, and they didn't have much. But luckily, I think it was 97 and uh, they got the rights for the Spanish football. And they said, look, if you're really that desperate, if you want to, and this is tongue in cheek and not very politically great, but if you want to kind of do a, you know, commentate and a, two bunches of waiters kicking a beach ball around, you can have the La Liga contract. And it turns out that, you know, there's bunches of waiters were Luis Figo and uh, the original Ronaldo, and they were playing against the great Real Madrid team with the likes of Raul. Um, so I was thrown in there and 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 was offered the Spanish football. Everything, sadly, is off tube, so you do it off the TV screen in London. Um, and it was a very low-key, low-budget start, but one day... I thought, what the hell, I'll, I'll just ring Barcelona Football Club because Bobby Robson was the manager that season. So I called up and, and managed to get through. And they said, oh, yeah, can I speak to the manager's office? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My Spanish was awful back then. And they put me through to the manager's office and I'm expecting some secretary who I thought, hopefully she can speak English. She's got Bobby Robson as the, as the manager. And Bobby answered the phone. And here I am talking to the manager of uh, Barcelona Football Club. I explained the situation. And Bobby was a bit out in the wilderness back then. I know he's now seen as a, a hero in this country, but he'd been England manager, so he was an anti-hero back then. Uh, and Bobby invited me over to Spain. So I think that was the Thursday. I went the next Monday and spent like a day in his shoes, filming with him behind the scenes, met the, the great Ronaldo, the Gisain Figo, um, and um, some like old Mourinho was doing the translating that he brought over from Portugal as well. Um, and he was, you know, he was so desperate, this, this young Mourinho type character to, to make an impression on people. And he was just a, like a young fella in the background. So that, that was my initiation. So we, we did the Spanish football and luckily for me, um, we kept that going for the best part of about 24, 25 years, every Saturday, every Sunday night, me and Jerry Armstrong and then Terry Gibson. And then I call it the, the FIFA generation because there, there are people your age, the people in the 20s and the 30s that habitually would come in and not watch whatever drama was on BBC or ITV, Downton Abbey or whatever it would be, and would switch over to the other side and they'd be tuning in to, to Barcelona or Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid or Deportivo La Coruña. And that was my bag. That was my little corner of sky. Um, and that was my specialism. So I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. It would have been great to be out there every weekend, but we, we do it off the TV screen. Lionel Messi. Messi! Brilliant! He is the record breaker. There have been many great players at this club, so many legends, but he is the best of the lot. Well, I've had a conversation with my brother, who's my older brother's about seven or eight years older than me, and his big thing was football Italia in the mid 90s. Yeah, he... Exactly. But for my generation, I'm 28, it was, like you just said, we watched Saturday and Sunday nights, we watched La Liga rather than... We got into Spanish football when it, it was the, the brilliant Barca sides and then the brilliant Madrid sides of the mid-noughties. And we got into Spanish football rather than they got into the Italian football. It was like the football Italia of our, with my generation, I think. Absolutely, yeah. And I'll listen today, I'll listen to the James Richardson podcast that he does 
for the Athletic, I think, isn't it? And, you know, that was my era. That was my Sunday afternoons. If there's no football on that, you would watch James Richardson and Peter Brackley, who's a commentating hero of mine. Again, we'll be doing it off to you from somewhere in London. That had the likes of Trevor Francis and, and Ray Wilkins and a lot of English players. Graham Souness went over to, to Italy at that point. So, yeah, probably my generation, 10, 20 years older than you would grow up with it. The, their other league being the Italian football. And, of course, we have the World Cup in Italy as well. And then your generation and my lad's 27. Uh, you know, the nights that they were allowed to stay up at the weekend with the parents before they went to school would be a treat to, to watch the late Spanish game um, after the English games have been on as well. And it, it's just a shame, really, that it doesn't have the exposure anymore in the UK that, uh, that it had for the best part of two decades. Why do you think that is? Um, well, it's a complicated system in that Sky decided that they didn't uh, want to up the bidding when the contract came to an end. Um, they've gone off in a, a slightly other direction. They put more money into the domestic game. Um, it's wall-to-wall EFL football now. As you know, as a Derby County fan, you can see all of the games on the red button. There are far more games that are covered live um, in the EFL as well. So that, that needed funding. Uh, the Premier League is everything at Sky as well. And when they were bidding for the Spanish football, they were also putting in a renewed bid under quite a lot of pressure from, from BT. Um, for the Premier League. So that's the that's the diplomatic way of saying things. Um, La Liga decided that they would take the biggest bid at the time, and that came from a company called Eleven Sports. And um, you'll be aware of what's called OTT broadcasting, which is you know, going to be the future eventually. Um, Amazon is taking off, Netflix is taking off, and these are TV stations where you find the little app on the bottom of the screen and Apple TV with Ted Lasso at the moment. Um, and Eleven came in, and, and Eleven didn't quite have the infrastructure at the time. Um, they needed because of the habits to put it on the Sky box. Sky probably understandably didn't have space for it or it didn't work out, so they couldn't get it on the TV screen. Uh, and after six months, the contract was was kind of disbanded. It floated around a bit at ITV. It took some games as well. I think Premier Sports had a few as well. And now La Liga have launched their own TV station, which you can get on, on the Sky channels. Um, but again, it, it's a little bit niche that you, I think you have to pay £6 a month. But if you're a Spanish football fan, it's there. And the service they provide is absolutely brilliant because it's basically Spanish football 24 hours a day. But out of habit, your generation... People, if it's there, you'll flick on, you'll watch it. If you've then got to go through a website and fill in boxes and put it on your credit card, you're probably less likely to do so. So it's a real shame that it has maybe disappeared from the consciousness of a certain amount of football fans in this country. Across your time covering Spanish football, can you pick, can you pick a highlight? No. <laughs> do you know what I'm dreadful? I just said to the taxi driver last night, if you asked me what game, we were reeling off. In fact, now you're going to ask me what game I did last night, and I know it was Barcelona, um, Celta. And I can never remember the next day. It's like inputting stuff into a computer. You put it in, and then the next morning you wake up, and, and it's like wiping the memory clean in the computer, and now I've got to prepare for the next game, which is Real Madrid against Levante on Thursday night. So all of my stats have to go into that. And I've, I've got a good friend who's a, a commentator as well, Rob Hawthorne, who works for Sky, and we'll... Have a comment. Uh, we'll have a chat on a Monday morning, and I'll say, "What did you do?" Oh, um, I did. Uh, and, and it's bizarre. It's like we've both wiped our memories clean. So when it comes to actually specific games, I'm rubbish, absolutely dreadful. Um, but there are periods, obviously, for me, um, commentating for the whole of the Lionel Messi 
at Barcelona and the Cristiano Ronaldo era at Real Madrid is I've been the luckiest man in the world in that I've got to call their magnificent goals weekend after weekend and some weeks I'll do Ronaldo Saturday and Lionel Messi Sunday and they'll be neck and neck on 39 goals and then you've got to find the ways to describe the goals as well and commentating on them is like being a defender because he generally you're commentating and you can see the play developing you know it's going to be a cross and then the guy may or may not score when the ball comes into the area when Ronaldo's got the ball or Messi's got the ball you don't quite know what's going to happen next and you have to concentrate so hard because you have to be a fraction of a second behind what's developing and Messi will do something that you've never seen before and you've got to find a word instantly to describe that and then he'll do something else and you've got to find the word and then he'll score and then you've got to I was always taught that commentating is complementing the pictures you don't say that's messy right foot goal that's radio commentary you've got to come up with something that, that kind of adds to the pictures and the excitement and the color and the verve so yeah that little fellow's been quite a challenge in Ronaldo as well who you know is probably the greatest goal scorer ever and, and Messi is probably the greatest player ever so I've been lucky that for the 15 years or so that those two at the peak of their powers I've been the man who's been charged with that with screaming their goals out into a microphone you know I'm going to ask next don't you go on Messi or Ronaldo? <laughs> uh, that, that is my answer. I think Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest goal scorer there's ever been. And I think Lionel Messi is um, the most exciting player that there's ever been um, and the most exceptional player there's ever been. Yeah. Sorry, I've had to, it's like a, one of them ones. <laughs> it's a well-rehearsed routine, that, yeah. Messi got me the job. At, Messi, Messi's commentary got me the, the job at ESPN, so that might just nick it for him. <laughs> On a personal level, and people might switch off now, I'm going to ask you a, a question. What's your, your biggest piece of advice for someone who's going into the industry? And obviously, I'm I'm doing it, but I'm freelance, but there's other people that will be listening. What's your biggest piece of advice for someone that's going into either to media or journalism who's, who's trying to make their way? Just keep chipping away. Just keep knocking at doors. Keep, just keep doing um, what you consider to be your best work. Um explore your weaknesses as well uh, and be patient as well um, I've, I've given many talks to um I've, I've been to Derby to Derby University my mate's running the journalism course there a guy called Nile Hickman's at Derby University so a couple of times a year I come to Derby and speak to the students there and you can see the ones that are going to go on because they've got patience and they listen and they ask very good questions like you've just asked as well and it's asking enough questions making an impression on people um and just looking for opportunities, you, you'll knock on a hundred doors and only one will open. But if you only knock on 99 doors, the one that you ignore might be the hundredth door where there's somebody waiting that needs somebody just like you with the strengths and the experience that you've got as well. Uh, the other thing I'd say is don't hack people off because there is one lad who I remember. And again, you, you remember people who was at the Derby, Derby University and he was on the course and he asked some good questions and he, he kind of stood out. But he also stitched me up a couple of years ago in that, stick to your values, stick to your principles, because this lad decided and he'd been, I guess he would argue that he'd been bullied by his editor at the Leeds Live, it was, I was doing a Leeds game, and he started reporting what had been reported on social media that the commentator, which was me, had been getting names wrong and had made a real cock-up of the commentary. And this was brought to my attention at half-time by uh, the guy at uh, BBC Leeds uh, from Popey, Adam Pope. And he said, you're getting hammered on social media. So in the second half, I was ultra sure, because I was doing it off tube, I wasn't at the game. I was ultra sure that I was getting the names and everything correct. And if I wasn't sure who it was, I wouldn't take a guess, which I very rarely do anyway. And this kind of tirade continued on social media. And this guy wrote the article. Um, and unfortunately for him, I managed to track him down. And, it, and I worked out, I know the name. 
Um, I won't embarrass him here, but I know the name. And then um, chucked him. I said, have you got proof that I, I made those mistakes? Well, no, people are saying it. I said, yeah, but mate, people are saying the moon, you know, the, the world is flat and, you know, the Lord is coming back tomorrow, but, you, you know, you, you, you've got to have some... And it chased him down. And then the long story of that is that recently he went for a job in an area where people know me well. And they said, do you know this guy? And I says, yeah. And I said, well, well I don't, don't touch him with a barge pole. <laughs> so <laughs> don't hack people off. <laughs> but there are other people, and I'll, I'll show the other side of the story, in that a Premier League football club also rang me two summers ago and said, we've got a list of people here. You deal with a lot of football clubs. What do you know about uh, Blake? Have you ever dealt with him? And I say, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. And, and the guy ended up getting the job as the press officer at one of the top Premier League clubs as well. So, so always be very careful of the impression that you're leaving and you're making with people because it can very much work in your favour if you're a good guy. And if um, you're not very loyal and you want to step on people on the way up, people can very much pull you back down under the surface as well. Brilliant. That's the best answer I could have expected. For... <laughs> Any regrets? Any regrets? Uh, regrets? I've had a few. Um, any regrets? No, no regrets at all. Um, there have been little turning points. Uh, got a, an offer to go to Singapore to be the anchor guy out there. Looked like Richard Keyes has done it, um, being Sports Al Jazeera, uh, to go out there when they got the Premier League contract. Didn't do that. No, do you not? No, no. I think I've, I've taken a... Um, I think I've taken the right turn most of the way. And you never have regrets. You, but I think once, again, that's the advice to people is once you've made a decision, just be single-minded, be focused and say, right, okay, well, I've taken this job and now I'm going to make the very best effort that I can. When I first went to Sky, I thought I'd made a regret in not continuing my commentary career. And it was a very long 18 months or so until I got you know, onto the commentary ladder doing Spanish football. And that was the longest. But you're like, no, they brought me into the northwest of the country. I've got Manchester United and Liverpool and, and Manchester City and Bolton were doing well. And, and you commit yourself to that. And then eventually, um, if you have patience, stuff will come around. So no, there are absolutely no regrets at all. Still going strong now. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It's uh, It's been really interesting for me personally. And uh... <laughs> yeah, Nobody else but me. We had a lovely chat. Didn't I know. For me. Like on a personal level, amazing is I want to one day be a, a level somewhere near you and I'd be very, very happy. But to hear your stories about your career and, and Derby County as well, it's been a real honour. So thank you very much for your time. No problem. No problem. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Mm-hmm.